0: Welcome to our first Behind Our Door podcast on a super hot Chicago day. It is hot out today. I'm Nancy, and I'm Julie, and uh, we're glad you're here to share our our first uh, first of hopefully many of these conversations about mental health.
1: Yes, we definitely have a lot to talk about and a lot to share with people.
0: Uh, Julie and I have known each other about 12 years and uh, we've had so many with what each of us do, which we'll talk about. We've had so many conversations on the phone sharing our professional stories of what's going on in the world of mental health with individuals and families that uh, I would say sometime during COVID, we had one of those long calls and we thought it would be so great to share this with uh, with a, some sort of audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the many, many conversations that we've had um, is something that is needed to be heard
0: by others, by family members, by friends, even by clinicians. It Definitely. I mean, we're not, we're not therapists, we're not psychiatrists, yet we have such a wealth of experience, each from sort of a different camp in dealing with exactly that, family members and people calling us with uh, searching for resources and a plan of action. And uh, what we really find would be, hopefully, the best about this is that we will offer uh, a new perspective, a different perspective than a therapist, giving practical considerations from our experience.
1: Yeah, I think um, just personal experience at its best. Just for me personally, when I used to teach crisis intervention, which we'll go into later, um, one of the things that people grasp the most is when I shared my own personal experiences and the things that I have been going through with, with my family members and or friends and or people I work with and how to deal with that is really what people are seeking.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's nothing better than uh, the shared stories. I think when, when people are struggling, family members, close friends with somebody that has some sort of major struggle with mental illness, the, one of the worst parts about it is isolation. And I find this from all the people that are calling in to me, uh, feeling, you know, sometimes the first, a person will call one of us, Julie or myself, I can speak for myself here, And it's their first time picking up the phone to reach out for help for themselves when they may have been helping this person for so long. And that is so essential to that kind of strength to help the person who's really in need. And sharing stories with other people going through the same thing is so powerful and empowering to get that strength to help somebody. So, uh, you know, we, we feel like that's really one of the big goals of this podcast. We hope that sh- this shared information and shared stories, we're hoping for some really interesting guests, will help people to find that uh, strength and in, in information.
1: Yeah, not only for the consumer, but for the caregivers as, as well because they are usually the forgotten ones, aren't they? Don't definitely. you think? Definitely. Um it's like it's like I used to say um, when prior to my son being diagnosed that I felt like I was on a desert island by myself because there's not a lot of information out there.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So I I'm hoping that we can fill that niche and that that's Our primary
0: goal. And also ideas of how to take care of yourself. I mean, information, information and resources for this person, like you're saying for your son, but also how to take care of yourself. It's so easy. And this goes for anyone caring for anyone, whether they have a physical ailment, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, Alzheimer's, anyone who's a caregiver will say, you know, I'm out of strength, I can't if they're not looking out for themselves. It, they can really be drained, and yeah. then uh, your situation is a whole lot worse. So yeah,
1: we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, alone. exactly.
0: <laughs> Julie, what? H- I forget how we met. Should, let's talk about that.
1: Well, um, I'm not really sure how you got oh.
0: my number. Oh, wait, Go I ahead. remember. Go I ahead. remember how I got your number. Okay. So. Uh, I, I have uh, worked for, for many years for the National Alliance on Mental Illness called NAMI. The, you may have heard of NAMI. The National Alliance on Mental Illness is a national nonprofit that, is, that has many affiliates all over the country, some big, some small, and it's all about, it's amazing, it's all about programming and resources for just that, for families, for family members and friends that are trying to be helpful to their family member, whether it's parents of a young kid, Someone who is helping an adult sibling, it does the age, nothing matters. There's help for everybody. So I was the uh, program director for several years for a Chicago affiliate. and um, one of i we oversaw seventeen townships. and one of the townships, one of the towns called me and said, and this is when things started to happen in um, communities as far as problems with police and first responders dealing with people with mental illness. How do you approach them? How do you, you know, thinking things could go south because the person with mental illness kind of uh, got ahead of the situation and, uh, you know, was not resolved well. So these police departments, and I'm talking about 15 years ago, maybe, started, Start is that when, about, is that when CIT training started 15 oh, years ago? Oh, long before that. Probably about 20 Okay, so I heard of it. Let's say you know when I first started that job twelve years ago, you know, dealing with the NAMI situations, and um, I had one of the communities call me saying, "We really need to have one of the fire, one of the police departments. We really need to have uh, training, but we do not have forty hours. A CIT is a forty-hour certified training um, program, and Many of these police departments cannot afford the staffing to let somebody off of a schedule for 40 hours to go through one of these things. So it's a staffing nightmare, but they really need the information. And they said, is there some way that we can get some of this information and training, but maybe do it in two days, uh, two eight-hour days? We really need it, but we can't do the 40 hours. So someone gave me the name of this Julie, who I'm sitting across from right now, Uh, saying that she had gone through one of our NAMI programs and was this fabulous woman, uh, police officer, who was a CIT, crisis intervention trainer, um, and might know. So I called Julie and um, told her the situation. Immediately she said, you know what, let's talk about this. I bet I can revise the curriculum and somehow make it work because you you don't want to you, you don't want to say to someone who's looking for help we don't have it because they can't do this canned exact thing, so uh, so Julie and I met we met with the township and we did this numerous times after of saying okay what are your issues and how much time do you have and then Julie and her colleagues would go revise a curriculum and then present you know this amazing amount of information in let's say even two days. And so, but we immediately hit it off, Julie. I do remember that. We just, we became... um, Kindred souls. Yeah, and and sometimes six months can go by and we hadn't spoken to each other, but as soon as we do, we'd have conversations like we're hoping for on this podcast. And, um, And so that's how, that was the first time we met. And then after that, I loved working with Julie and I had programs through NAMI called Ending the Silence that were high school kids. And sometimes we'd have a whole day, 800 kids every hour to put in a whole day of educating all these students on mental illness and signs and symptoms and all this. And Julie was one of my speakers that would talk about herself as a mother. And she would happen to, you would happen to mention, I remember this, I am a police officer, but I have a son, but I have a son that is, uh, that struggles with mental illness and um, and the kids were mesmerized that a mother would be standing up talking about this, and it would bring them the strength to, at the question and answer, stand up themselves to say, uh, you know, I have a brother I'm worried about, I'm worried about myself. It's these kinds of stories that that brought that out, that are also reducing the stigma.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that I, obviously, maybe we should back up a little on, yeah. on a little bit about ourselves. So, yeah. Um, my son is 28 now, but when I started to seek help, he was about five years old. Um, I actually knew at an early age that there was something very different about him. Um, and by different, I don't mean bad. I just mean he was the type of child that had a lot more energy than all the other kids. He would never sleep at night. Um, he struggled with night terrors, which are different from nightmares, Um, and he would have these bouts of rage that I just did not understand. And I was such a young mom at the time, um, it was very overwhelming, and I had never heard of mental illness, mental health, crisis, any of that. So I started to look for help. And where do you go first, obviously, is your pediatrician. And um, the pediatrician was putting him on ADHD medication and um never really referred me beyond that so I started seeking help on my own obviously the internet was a little bit in the younger years um but that's how I found NAMI and got involved with them and I thought it was like my saving grace
0: how old was he when you when you found NAMI when you found the programming
1: about 10 years old okay So we're going back a few years because it took me, it took me five years to get him properly diagnosed. And that was avidly, avidly seeking treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, I was calling everyone I could think of over and over and over and over Um, and getting on the internet. At the time I had found an online support group, which is now called the Balanced Mind Foundation. Mm -hmm. And they were probably one of my best resources at the time who guided me to NAMI, which was local. And through NAMI, obviously, I met people like you and, mm-hmm. and the other strong ladies. And for me, um, it was my lifeline because I just remember feeling very overwhelmed, very exhausted. Um, just not It's not necessarily knowing the answer, but just knowing how to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, it led me into a local hospital here who was on the cutting edge of doing research into juveniles and mood research. My son had gotten into a program there and was put on a medication study. And that was the first time since he was about five years old, I saw his moods level out. Wow. Yeah. So it, I mean, it it was truly, truly a journey. And you have to remember, I am a police officer. I've been in, in law enforcement for 24 years Um, And if you know anything about law enforcement, our schedule is not very conducive to parenting. Yeah, I can only imagine. (laughs) So we work days and nights and nights and days and everything in between. And, you know, sometimes we have days off, sometimes we don't have days off. And having this child that was consistently getting in trouble at school and um, consistently getting in trouble at daycare I I was really struggling, and I was I was very scared. I was scared for him. I was scared for me. I was scared for our future. I just wanted someone to understand what I was going through and and how I was feeling. And so when I met you, I felt like we were a secret club.
0: Yeah, and I can I I I also can imagine how you felt uh, such help from either you know the balanced mind support group and uh, the NAMI programming classes they have parenting classes and classes for um, which we'll talk about another time for people that family members and of all different ages but but that's what that's really the biggest part of my advocacy is saying one of the biggest is that the power of that conversation I see people come through the door that are so worn down and when they realize they're not alone to hear somebody else say something similar at one of these groups or classes it is so it is just a a pump of positive energy you just didn't think you had left so yeah. um so I feel like that was and you know what when what you're talking about was a long time ago resource, resources have gotten better and slowly the conversation has gotten a little better I feel like there's still an enormous stigma yeah. but it is better look at what's going on especially even from this last year Absolutely I mean with covid covid there, brought yes. a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of it, it took away a whole layer of the stigma because people were really talking about this, whether it was the first responders, the people in the, you know, all the hospital staff that were just going through really tough, tough times. Or even the people
1: sitting at home who couldn't leave their house from quarantine.
0: it really, it really sort of uh, put things, it's one of maybe the silver linings of the, you know, of this whole pandemic that has come about. I feel like it's brought the conversation a little bit higher to the top, which is, uh, which is obviously a good thing.
1: Well, I just think back when you know I was trying to figure out what was wrong with my son because we didn't have a diagnosis. Um, there was no one publicly that I recall talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as my family history, I don't know anyone that necessarily has it. That doesn't mean that's not true, mm-hmm. um, but to my knowledge. So this was kind of like a brand new thing to me.
0: Yeah, and I feel like when I told people that I was working uh, for NAMI and what it was, and I'm, you know, I immediately fell in love with that nonprofit. It's just so, it's just so positive. It's such an amazing organization that uh, people, my family members friends, neighbors. I mean, people were coming out of the woodwork to say, do you just have a minute? I just want to ask you something. (laughs) And, um, and it's, of course, like anything, people you don't realize had these problems. I mean, sure, the people close to me, I certainly realize. But, uh, but it definitely is uh, a huge help to have that talk. I think that you walk away with like, a little bit less on your shoulders when you share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's, Let's let's hear about you, Nancy. So <laughs> um, tell tell us tell tell us tell the people listening. Um, aside from how we met, how did you even get involved in this? Because um, you have been in it a, a lot longer than I have.
0: Yeah, I well, first of all in the '80s, and I'm older than Julie. <laughs> Not uh, by we much. We we don't have to discuss age, <laughs> but I am older. And um, in the '80s, I was in the beginning of my uh, working years post school. I was working as the human resource director for uh, the Mayfair region, a, s- a small luxury property that was in Chicago, it's no longer here, but um, very. it was a fabulous job because it was a really small, like 250 employees I think, and very diverse staff from all over the world. and because I was the HR director, of course, it was in a small place like that. I was in charge of everything, including the insurance union or non-union. And people would come in to confide in me about what they had maybe put in for, for their insurance. They must have thought, of course, I never would have known anything HIPAA wise, <laughs> but they felt like, you know, I'm just going to ask you about this or that. And, and whenever it was, a mental health situation. And unfortunately, then too, uh, AIDS was a huge, oh, yeah. huge problem, yeah. especially the years I was there, that that was also uh, those were the two big stigmas Where the, the people that were diagnosed with AIDS were, you know, of course, it was devastating on every level. But that was very, you know, much I'm shutting, can I just shut the door for a minute kind of thing to my office. But so was the anything related to mental health, whether it was somebody's child or themselves or uh what whatever situation it really made me think in those years and um of just the whole stigma of it and how I would see people come through the door with a broken a, a broken arm or or some sort of illness that would not hold that stigma and um and so I always had this interest a little bit more focused on that from that job and I I left there when the hotel closed turned into condos and then uh you know, years down the road, got into the National Alliance on Mental Illness as the program director. And I was so lucky to be able to now focus on that. And, and like I said, I have some personal experience, too, of people coming to me that I'm very close to. And, um, and so for me, it was professional, it was personal, it really became a huge passion, it still is. Uh, that it is today, so um, so that's really where it's at. And I I left the position as program director. Uh, couple of years ago, maybe five years ago. And I'm now on the advisory board of one of the affiliates and take the crisis calls, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. And um, and I started doing I When I was program director, I, de- I developed a couple of programs. And all of the programs with NAMI are free of charge. So I'm always so happy to promote them. But one of the programs was a support group for uh, college students and uh, or people that were trying to stay in or out of college, uh, trying to stay in college, maybe they're out and try and stay in the workforce, even if they were out, having their separate adults with mental illness having their separate conversation, and that balance for success was about that is about that it's still there, and during That's COVID, amazing. during COVID I, I from all of these including a conversation early on with you Julie. I came up with a program called Nami Chats that was just an extra conversation of uh, connecting people. There was so much isolation. Parents, I'd say most of my calls were parents mm-hmm. of adult kids saying, "God, they're in their apartment. They're working. If they're even working, they're they're working from home. They never leave." You know that those first few yeah. months were so isolating, and um, and so uh, you know now that's really the focus of what I do, and. Um, And it's really interesting, COVID-wise, by the way, to see how that was a panic at the beginning, isolation. Then it sort of subsided. And then when everyone started coming back into life, that was another panic. I think people that isolated were thinking, now uh, everyone's coming back into the world and I can't do it. So it's so much to say in all of this.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to me how um, both our personal lives have affected our professional lives because you know, growing up, I never wanted to be a police officer ever.
0: Really? I wasn't really? Even,
1: No. Um, how crazy is that? Um, no, it wasn't even a forethought. I mean, the truth is, I had a friend of mine who came from a police family, and they wanted to take the police test, and they did not want to go alone. <laughs> so I ended up going with them. Really? Yes. And then... I got the letter that said I was accepted, and I was 25 years old at the time, and raising my son, and thought, what do I do now? Um, and I spoke with my dad, and he said, why don't you just try it? And I thought, okay, why not? The irony is, I always wanted to go into some type of psychology. So um, it's kind of odd how worlds come together, because then years later, I had this great opportunity to work with a lieutenant of our police department who is now long retired who started our crisis intervention program. God that's great. I know. Um, At the time we I'm not going to say that that our department specifically had had started because it was started in I believe it was in, in Tennessee early early on I think the early no late 80s. But what he wanted to do was expand on that and create a juvenile program. So you have a main crisis intervention program, which is a 40-hour week, which trains police officers in de-escalation skills and active listening. Um, And he wanted to take it and cater it toward children under 18, which, of course, was me because that was my child at the time. He was under 18, and I... Um, sat in that class, and I waited for it to be over. It was training, and I said, please, please, please let me be involved. And he said, absolutely. Well, not only did I get involved, I also took my son's doctor at the time to get involved um, because they were so groundbreaking in studying juveniles and, and mood research. Wow. So, And what year was that, in the 80s? No, 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 no. Um, CIT, I think, was started in the 80s. We'll have to Google it. But mm-hmm. um, this was probably about 15 years ago, oh, wow. at least. Yeah, about 15 years ago.
0: I'll tell you, I I remember sitting in when I as program director to uh, one of the large trainings that you were doing with police chiefs in the area. Mm-hmm. And it was the first one I ever, and maybe I opened up with a whole talk about the resource of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and then got to sit through, and I was just amazed at that training because I studied social work; that was my area of study in school and my degree. And I, I heard things, learned things I never in all those years had learned just about the eye contact and the, um, you know, just different aspects of. Dealing face to face with someone who's, let's say, delusional, or somebody who's really struggling in crisis. and crisis. In crisis, and it's really an eye opener, and it's not something you learn otherwise. I really think that's a place to learn it.
1: Absolutely, it, it, these aren't things that you can learn in a book. Um, yeah, right. Th- that's th- I mean. It's really hands-on training, and part of the program that is implemented in this, which is my favorite part, is that we have the we call it the family panel. So we bring these families who are currently going through these struggles and they sit on the panel, um, which is really just a bunch of chairs in front of a group of officers and answer questions and talk about their lives. So my child at a very young age, of course, um, was involved and he really changed the perspective about what mental health crisis is because... Isn't it like we think about how scary it is? You know, what we see on TV, like it's the straight jackets and it seems so scary, and that's not what it looks like at all. Yeah, the the hospitalizations. I mean, you
0: think, and and, uh, crazy hair, right? To so many calls and so many so many people that it's uh, that you can tell it's their first time picking up to call for themselves and you know indirectly for this family member and they'll tell their story or their situation and they're just resisting calling the police maybe to come get this individual from their yes. house and take yes. them to the hospital and of course anyone could understand that so to someone that hasn't done that ever they can't even fathom doing it and they picture a hospitalization like you just had Described, but it it really is just a uh, a safe place that is such a benefit, especially for a first time crisis to get someone you know set set on a, some sort of plan, even some sort of plan of action.
1: Well, well, where to go? Yeah. Well, what is the first move that you do? Because most people, it's hard just to pick up the phone. Right. So. Um, and a
0: hospitalization gets you set on what's going on. Some, you know, maybe not a full diagnosis, but some sort of idea of what's going on, which is a relief to that family member or whoever has, you know, the care at that time because they, for a long time, have thought, you know, it's hard to know. How do you know you have a situation like that? Absolutely. Which will be another show. <laughs> <laughs> it sure will. We have so much to continue to talk about on this subject. Um,
1: but the reality is... You know, you and I have really developed a passion for this personally, professionally.
0: Absolutely. We want
1: to open these conversations. We want to bring in some experts, some different ideas, and just put it out into the world and hope that they don't have to go through the same struggles that I went through personally.
0: Absolutely, I think back about us talking, you know, a couple of months ago or during COVID, and it was you, really, I think, that said, "Let's do a podcast." And because I'm uh, so hip and trendy, yeah, and I'm not, but uh, <laughs> but I I really I really hope I know we both do that that this conversation can't these ongoing conversations and like Julie said, guests can help, um, like. Uh, like we wish, you know, like you wish you had out there. And, you know, hopefully they'll help.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm not a clinician, you're not a clinician. I call us moms on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to sum it up. Moms on um, a mission. Anyway. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll read some people and change some lives. Yeah,
0: I, absolutely. So, uh, okay, onward. I hope that we, I hope that we've piqued the interest of Me someone too. listening to our first podcast. I almost said, starting out, it's our first episode, but there I show my age. It's a podcast. <laughs> it's not an episode, but I'll have to learn about this. Yes. Uh, anyway, important to close with, if you or someone you know is in crisis, struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at one 800 Nine five zero six two six four. until next time hope you tune in
1: hope you guys come back